Welcome to episode five of Brownell's Best, highlighting the student writing of Brownell Middle School students. Today, we are sitting down with three eighth grade students who medaled in the Daughters of the American Revolution essay contest this year. Every year, the Daughters of the American Revolution hosts two essay contests, one for grades five through eight and the other for grades nine through 12. The topics are varied, but all deal with some aspect of American history. A lot of these years, the topics coincide with important anniversaries, such as the 2021-2022 contest, which honors the 100th anniversary of the dedication of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. The topic for this essay reads, Imagine that you had a brother who lost his life on the battlefields of France during World War I. You and your family attended the November 11, 1921 dedication of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Washington, D.C., Describe what this meant to you and your family. Why is it important to remember those who gave their lives to serve our nation? This year, Brownell 8th graders Lauren, Lorelai, and Amelia came in first, second, and third, respectively, at the Louisa St. Clair DAR contest. We will hear their winning pieces and talk to them about their process of writing about such a challenging topic and what this American Memorial means when we come back. Okay, so today we're going to be starting with Amelia. You're going to start today. Before we have you read your piece, I have a question for you. The topic about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is kind of a challenging topic. It requires you to put yourself in a time that many don't remember. I mean, we're talking 100 years ago. What, what was your thought process? How did you decide on preparing and writing your piece? So how did you go? What was your process when you came up with this uh, idea for your piece? All right. Well, I do have a very strong European roots since I am a first generation American. My parents are not from here. So I wanted to do something set in Europe and then moving to the United States since it's something that is, I'm not French, which is the thrill of my piece is French. I'm not French, but it's just kind of tied into my ancestry a little bit. And I wanted to make it as personal as possible so that I could kind of pull from my own emotions and not have to make stuff up. Okay. Yeah. And that's one thing I noticed in yours was there was more of a European feel to it. You know, as you said, the, the girl comes from France and I noticed that. So that was something different than what the others were, where you kind of, uh, kind of showed that this wasn't just an American issue that it came, it was, mm -hmm. it was a world war. It was everyone. So it was, you had an international feel, which I appreciate Okay, so if you're ready, go ahead and share your piece. All right, so it is in the form of journal entries, so I'll start with the first one. It's March 15, 1917. Nothing made sense anymore. The only word tossed around the measly dinner table now was war, along with bread and beans. Picking my plate apart, the hum of planes became background noise in daily conversations. The tea was bitter, and so was the news. Living in France was hell, and I was about done with it. My brother Leo was at war, being drafted just eight months before, and not a day went by when I did not miss him. The letters stopped arriving in the last fortnight, and with heavy hands, I checked our apartment's letterbox every day, hoping to find his messy scrawl somewhere, anywhere, somewhere, drowned in masses of paper, but, pre but progressively, I was drowning in them myself. April 20th, 1917. Sharp knocking echoed on our measly apartment door, and I dragged myself over. I was expecting the neighbor, who seemed to lose her cat every other day. Instead, I found a crisp uniform and a thick envelope, the, heart, the print harsh. 
My mother ran over, her face going white, before going to the usual thank you, my apologies. I just stood there behind her, my eyes trained on that envelope, and life be damned, I hope it was not what I thought it was. November 11th, 1918. The war was over. France was in turmoil. The trains overflowed. But Leah was not coming home. While that sound, while that day the sounds of celebration echoed through the earth itself, my world was as bitter as the coffee. My brother was dead, buried somewhere with nothing on his grave. I knew he died for our country, for us, and so that I could live in place free of war, but it still stung like someone driving a spike through my chest, leaving a burning hole. October 28, 1921. Almost three years passed since the war has ended, and the dinner table still felt empty. The chair beside me a ghost. My ears perked up at the sound of America, and I watched the two adults talk rapidly, but nothing registered, everything just a blur of words. All of a sudden, with my spoon halfway to my mouth, both my parents looked at me dead in the eyes. So what do you think of going to America? November 1st, 1921. Wind, play, wind played with the strands of hair that escaped the coil that hung down my back as if holding my face in its hands with cold fingers. The boat rocked and I held the railing with icy palms. The air was frigid and the bustle of people moving around did little to tame the wind. As much as I wanted to go out to America, fear gripped me. It was as if without it, I would be whisked off this ship like a petal on those tiny red roses Leah would always bring me that frame the houses of, of the aristocrats back in France. I clutched a folded piece of paper, the title just visible, The Ceremony of the Unknown Soldier, November 11th, 1921. Standing hand in hand with my parents, I felt my mother squeeze my palm and I gripped it back. The crowd thickened by the minute, moving like molasses, the faces of everyone solemn. People gave each other sympathetic looks as I watched, tears stinging my eyes, with a heart cracked like a shell with my heart cracked like a shell. Almost everyone here had lost someone dear, a husband, a daughter, an aunt, in this hellish human, in this hellish human rage we've come to call war. A gray-haired woman came up to me, her words blurred. She plucked a flower from her little bouquet, handed me a daisy, the tears spilled over. Holding the flower between my fingers, I looked up. Smiling through my tears, I grabbed her hand, and her tired eyes lit up like a little flame, smiling back at me. She sat beside my parents, not a word was spoken, yet understanding spoken of. The casket was brought in. At the same moment, a gust of wind sent a chill through my spine. Someone unknown was being carried, and the wind picked up, lending its own helping hand. Processions followed. The event kept moving, just as people followed the sarcophagus minutes before. I couldn't understand most of what was said, but as I sat there, emotion came through. The voices lifting and falling, soft as feathers and hard as iron, solidifying the words, making them real. Trumpets sounded, and a thin silence filled the air. Now a sea of people standing. A sea of colors, every single one a different hue. The silence stretched, seeping into the space like ink. I wasn't sure how much time had passed, but the cracks in my heart were being bound together, and Leah was holding the bandage, unraveling it piece by piece. As brisk as a doe, instruments were lifted, and a chorus of voices was once again hefted into the air on wings of silver. Young and old, soft and loud, it became one and boomed across the space, echoing to the ground. Every word, the words meant nothing, but the pain behind it did. It was unspoken, yet it pierced everyone like a thorn, watching from its perch as a crow does. But for every thorn, there was a rose, and life would continue to flower in its own wry way. While I had never fully accepted the grief that had twisted my soul, I was ready to let the blo- to let the roses bloom from the cracks. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was fantastic. A um, couple of questions for you before mm-hmm. uh, we move on. Your piece is in, is a different format. The other two are just a story, uh, mm-hmm. basically. Yours is in the format of a diary. How did you come up with this idea? 
Well, I wanted to do something that wasn't the traditional essay format. And I have read a lot of different historical novels, and a lot of them were set in a similar format, and it kind of intrigued me. And I never really had a chance to do it otherwise, so I mm-hmm. thought it was, this would be a fun idea to kind of play with writing style. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of, if you remember, I don't know if you ever read those books, those Dear America books. I don't think I've read those. Okay, yeah, they're kind of written, they take a character from a certain time period, and it's kind of like a diary entry. But, yeah, I just, I love the way you set it up. It's uh, unique. I'll put those books on my TBR. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of emotion in this piece. Um, Was this a challenge for you, or was it easy to add so much emotion? Because, to be honest, it was authentic. I mean, it, it felt authentic. It felt like it felt like you were in pain. So I was curious how how much how challenging was it to put that emotion in there? Because I mean, it as I was reading it, I felt like I was reading the diary entry of someone who lost their brother. All right. Well, thank you. First of all, and second, um, no, it wasn't really that difficult for me. I naturally read a lot, and to the point where it's probably borderline a little bit problematic, but it's fine. So it wasn't really that difficult since I've read a lot of harsher things. And I think it's important when writing emotion to have some sort of background or to be able to read a book and recognize good writing. There was one author, TJ Klune, he wrote The House of Really and Sea. And the way that he portrayed human emotion, looking back on it, I think that if I had more time, I would have definitely drawn inspiration from his writing because his writing is very authentic. And it wasn't that difficult. If you just know what to look for when you're reading yourself, then it's pretty easy to draw upon that and be able to pull from yourself. That's excellent. I appreciate it. Amelia, thank you so much for sharing this thank with us. Thank you for having me. You got it. Hey, so Lorelai, we are with you and thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Of course. So before we get before we hear your piece, I wanted to ask you, and I asked Amelia, and I'm going to ask Lauren the same question about your process. Mm-hmm. This was a challenging topic because, I mean, you were talking about something that happened 100 years ago. Um, and for many of us, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is just, it's a constant. We've, it's always been there for us. So okay. you are going, you're writing about a time where this is a brand new novel idea. Mm-hmm. How did you prepare for this how did you what was your process when you got this topic because you didn't choose this right this was this was assigned as far as for the contest how did you attack this topic um so i did the dar contest last year so i had like a good idea of what they wanted to um like how i wanted to write my essay um but i didn't know much about the topic so i definitely had to do a lot of research um but working with Amelia and Lauren definitely helped because we could brainstorm together and share our ideas. And Mrs. Duffield was a big help as well. As she always is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, when you're ready, feel free to share your piece. Okay. So, go. Standing in a multitude of people who had suffered loss just like me brought me no sympathy and no comfort. I was picking a scab on my elbow as I stood in between my brother and my mother, and an oil stain on the back of a man's jacket was the only thing I could see. Just as I had gotten over the death of Christopher, my father decided to put himself, my other brother Alex, my mother and me on an old red train to go look at a tomb in Washington, D.C., which I refused to believe had my brother in it. Listening to the conversations of other people and how they coped with their grief reminded me of how horrible I felt almost four years ago today. 
December 14, 1917. Less than a year before the war ended, less than a year before only Alex returned home. When I walked into my house, my eyes were drawn to the crisp white letter sealed to perfection. I was perplexed as to why a letter was on the ground, but I picked it up anyway. Looking at it, I noticed that it was from my brother, Alex. Ever since my brothers got taken away to the battlefields of France, I looked forward to the rare letters they wrote me. As my eyes traced the messy handwriting, my heart climbed up to my throat and then sank back down to my stomach. The words blurred as I started to get dizzy and a lone tear fell on the wrinkled paper. Christopher was dead. My 17-year-old brother was dead and I never got to say goodbye. My last memory of Christopher was hugging him as his train were to a stop. You better not be taller than me when I get back. His words came out soft and sweet and I let out a laugh as I hugged him. I'm going to miss you a lot, I said, as I looked into his eyes. I'll be back before you know it. I smiled as he pulled me in for one last hug. Dang, I miss him. As my mind drifted from memories and then back to reality, I wondered why I was here. Is this supposed to bring me solace to know that my brother's dead body might be back in America? Alex, I whispered as I turned my head to look into his gray cloudy eyes. When was the last time you saw Christopher? As I waited for his response, words from strangers' mouths entered my ears and it was loud and tumultuous. Just as I was ready to give up on Alex responding, I watched him take a deep breath in and then open his mouth. We were on the battlefield. Christopher was ready and I was not. As the first shot rang in my ear, I got scared. So I ran. I ran fast, not looking back. I left Christopher there to fend for himself, and I never saw him again. I'm a coward. Christopher was brave, and I was not. I should be the reason you're here today. His words were quiet and in pain, and all I could do was listen. Oh, Alex, don't say that. It's not your fault. I'm glad you're here with me. He forced a smile as I grabbed his hand. I never thought about Alex and how sad he was. He stayed so strong. My ears finally got a rest, and the crowd grew quiet. A medal of honor was placed on the tomb and a few words were said, but the words were nothing but a bunch of racket to my ears. I looked at my mother. Her hair was covered in a big black hat and the smoke from her cigarette made me cough. A moment of silence was being held in tribute of people's dead family members, but yet again, it met absolutely next to me. I picked my fingernail to start to bleed and the heartbeat in my finger was the only thing I could feel. As I watched people mourn in silence, another one of my fat, wet tears fell to the ground. Damn war, I whispered. A lady looked at me as I scoffed. I felt her cold hand on my shoulder and it provided me a consolation, a consolation and warmth, something I hadn't felt in a long time. I swiftly turned around and looked at her. My dear, she started, we are all in pain, all feeling alone and empty. Although it might seem like a foolish idea to be here, the symbols on this tomb represent peace, victory, and valor. Your loved one would want you here to bring peace in a world full of stress and hatred. I broke down and started to sob. You don't understand. Even if they did find my brother's body, what difference does it make? That one letter broke me and broke my family. No one should ever have to get that letter. I guess for air, she pulled me in for a hug. It'll be okay, she whispered. It'll be okay, trust me, I do understand. I laid my head on her shoulder and closed my eyes. I didn't even know her and yet I was hugging her and she was hugging me back. As the sun set over the horizon, pinks and oranges painted the sky. 
Tall men carried the tomb throughout the horde of people, and I read the back inscription as it passed me. It read, Here rests in honor and glory an American soldier known but to God. I realized that my heart was still not healed, but burned with pain, and it wasn't going to get better without the help of others. Today, other people extinguished the pain, and even in the midst of trauma, we were able to come together and begin to heal. Thank you, Lorelai. That's yes. wonderful. Thank you. Um, two questions for you. Mm -hmm. First one, your story, your story, I think of all of them, your story really focuses on the pain that these families feel. Yes. Yeah. How did you work out? out this sense of loss as you're writing this piece? Like, how did you focus on this? Because I, I found that fascinating. Um, so I, I was trying to imagine like a perspective of someone being so young and kind of being here and not, I guess, not really understanding how like big of an honor it was to be there as an adult. And so I think like, she was just so focused on losing her brother that she didn't even realize like this, you know, there is a positive to all this. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, the younger ones, they have a one track mind. So yeah. Her track is just still focusing on the sadness, not, not the honor that this would be. Right. You ask an interesting question in this piece. You, you ask if this tomb supposed to bring solace to families and to people, yeah. do you think it brings it? Do you think this tomb brings that solace to people? So fa families who lose loved ones in war, do you think this is, was this created for that or was this created for something different? What do you think this also is something that brings solace, brings comfort to those families? Um. So, and when we did our eighth grade Washington DC trip, we got to see it. And um, I definitely think, I think it did bring comfort to families just because i mean if you found out that you lost someone and they can't find their body or something um i definitely think that maybe seeing the tomb of the unknown soldier would bring comfort just because there's a lot of unknown questions and that could absolutely mm -hmm. and also i think to show that they are honoring them and they you know yeah. they're not forgotten i think that's a, a big thing lorelei thank you so much thank you Okay, Lauren. So you're last, but definitely not least. Um, before we get started, I do have one question for you before we begin. And this is different than the other two. Um, this is your second time on our podcast. You're the only return, returning uh, author. Uh, you were on our first episode with your first place speech for the Optimist Club. Here's my question for you. How do you prepare for these contest pieces that make you so successful? Um, I don't really know, honestly, but um, what I normally do is that I do research on the topic before I do it. Like I look at old, like I look at articles and like this one was on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So I looked a lot into that ceremony and like I looked at a couple of newspapers from that time even. And um, I guess that I just do a lot of research before I do it. And then I make sure to like do a lot of editing. Like I read it to a lot of people and I make sure that I read it out loud so I can like catch where I make mistakes and everything. Okay. Because I just, right now I, I'm trying to think of like who to compare you to. And all I can think of is like Tom Brady, you know, it's a winner. So I was just curious what, what your process is since you've, because last time you said this, that the optimist one was not the only one and 
that you've won and this i also assume was not you've won more than these correct yeah over your time i've won four contests I yeah won see that's, the that's huge twice <laughs> and then i won a like statewide poetry contest last okay. year and then i won the speech contest this year and everything okay so this is nothing new for you um all right so when you are ready go ahead and share your piece okay I woke up to a miserable November morning. The sun was barely visible, just a miniature strip of vibrant orange at the ends of the horizon. I was on a rickety train, traveling through a lush forest. You could hear the thumping of luggage hitting the bottom of my seat. My cheek was pressed against the frosty glass. I lifted my face and sat up in my seat. Today was the day. Soon the train came to a halt and we arrived at a station near Washington, DC. Hundreds of people were crowded in the station, waiting. We all knew what today was. Today was exactly three years since the war ended. The war we called a world war. The war my father fought in. The war my brother died in. Two years ago, we got the letter that forever changed our lives. Cordelia, my mother, summoned me. It's the letter, Vincent's coming home soon. I dashed to her side as she slowly opened the letter. Sadly, it was not the news we wanted. I sank to the floor as tears streamed from my eyes like torrents and despair hit me as the only thing I could think of is that Vincent's not coming home, and he never will. Never. Never have I gone a day without thinking of him. But I don't let it show anymore. And I don't want it to. He's gone, and he's never coming back. I've accepted it. Why do I need to face it again? Why do I need more sympathy for this? My father wrapped his arm around me tight and tightly grasped my mother's hand so as not to lose me as the, in the vast ocean of people we pushed and shoved as I listened to small excerpts of conversations. Grumbling, crying, and laughter filled my ears as we navigated the masses. With every step, I wished I couldn't be back home. I never wanted to do this, but I loved Vince, but I loved Vince, so I had to be here. Once we got to a mildly clear area, my parents split to go find some sort of breakfast. I sat on a bench waiting. I don't exactly know what I was waiting for. Something, someone, some time, but I was waiting. Soon an old lady sat next to me on the bench and with a large bouquet of red carnations. She sat alone like she was getting used to it. Then she turned to me with a fake smile that seemed to hide her loneliness. Hello, dear. Why, did you lose someone too? She tried to sound cheerful, but we were all missing a crucial piece of us today. I lost my brother, I replied avoiding eye contact. Well, here. She wrestled with her things before pulling a red carnation from her bouquet. Take this. I worked long and hard to pick out the perfect assortment. I lost my husband. Red carnations symbolize heartache, and I feel we all have a bit of it today. I held the flower in my hand. It was so delicate, yet so beautiful. Soon my parents came, and we found a spot to stand before the ceremony began. At 11.15, it was like a parade. People were so excited as the casket came in. I felt so stu- it felt so stupid at the moment. Why were they so excited? There was no way all of our loved ones were there, only three. As the ceremony proceeded, I wanted nothing to do with it. But then it was time to sing America. It all changed. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, we began. The verses barely had meaning to me anymore, for I've sung it so much. But as we went deeper into the song, I listened to not the words, but the voices. Children and adults, gruff and gentle, the broken and whole. A smile spread to my face as I sang. These words had little significance to me, but as, but as I listened to the crowd sing as one, I realized what this was all for. Not for us to be individually broken, 
but for us all to heal, together. I clutched the carnation and sang heartily with my full volume. Then President Harding gave his address. With every word he spoke, I felt Vince's presence. With every phrase, a new memory came back to me. Vince fixing my toys, us playing in our uncle's field, him sewing my gown back together after accidentally tearing it. His occasional letters coming in the mail for me, us sneaking out at night to the barn and sharing secrets till daylight. Then the last hit, hit memory hit me. I sat on the porch alone. Vincent and my father were to leave tomorrow for the war. I was terribly frightened. What if they died? What if mother became a widow? What if I lost my best friend? What would happen? I sobbed that night. But Vincent came out. He held me in his arms and reassured me. Just for one night, all my fears melted away in his arms. For one night, it felt like it would be okay. Amen. Before I knew it, the ceremony was over. When I woke on the train this morning, all I could think about was how much I didn't want to go to it. But now that it's over, I don't want to leave. I want to keep feeling him. We were in line to visit the tomb. As our turn came, we approached the grave. Out of the thousands of unrecognizable corpses, there was barely a chance he was lying in that tomb. But as I placed my carnation on the grave, I didn't care who was in the casket. All I knew was that Vincent was there that day, and as I left, I whispered under my breath a farewell to not only Vincent, but to every soldier that sacrificed his life in the war. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Um, two questions for you, and then we're uh, all set. The Red Carnation, mm -hmm. that, there's some significance in that. Was this research, like did you, like you talked about, you do you some research. Was this researched or was this just dramatic license? You just thought Red Carnation, that works and go with it. Um, I actually did research it because I did want like a special symbol in the book. So I did look it up and I realized that Red Carnation's symbolized heartache. Okay. I just, as I read it, I, I, I sensed that that was something really, really important there. Um, did you go on the eighth grade trip? No. Have you ever been to Washington where you saw the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? I have. Okay. How was that experience for you? Do you remember the experience? Like, did um, you feel that sense of, like, awe or, you know, solemnity? Or did you feel something different? Yeah, I was young when that when I went. But, like, you, there was still, like, this important this seriousness in our time there. And, like, we, like it was very like serious and there was like a lot of like kind of patriotism kind of and like respect for that grave. Okay. Yeah. I, that's one that whenever I go there, it's every other place in Washington is a lot different. I mean, it's noisy and all that, but that it's the silence is almost deafening. It seems like Lauren, thank you so much. And who knows, I may, we may have you again before the end of the year. Great job. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brownells Best. Students' last names are withheld for safety reasons, and only their first name and last initial will be used at all times. This has been a Bronco News production.